you. It's such a blessing to be here. And um, we were realizing as we drove up that the last place we went to, other than being at home and doing lots of things online before all the lockdowns, was here. So it's great to be back with you. It really is. And um, big hi to the students. I think I can tell who you are, just about. And uh, gather the youth are in the gathering this morning as well. Somewhere? At the back. Great to have the youth wherever they are. And, um, and I really appreciate the invitation, uh, which was to share whatever was on my heart. It's always such a, um, such a broad invitation, that. But I really want to share something that I believe God has given me for you. And I'm going to call this the feeding of the 9,000. A feeding of the 9,000. And I trust it will be a real help to you in the season that I believe God is taking you into. It's a really significant time for all of us, isn't it? And I've always been intrigued with the two stories, the feeding miracles, as they're called, the two stories in the Bible, one of the feeding of 5,000, which we all know about. Uh, We learn about that in Sunday school. Um, But just a couple of chapters later, um, the feeding of the 4,000. And uh, Matthew's gospel includes both accounts of those, so does Mark's, Luke and John, just to speak about the feeding of the 5,000. But I'd like you to turn with me to to Matthew 14, and we're going to read these stories. And I believe they are incredibly relevant for our times. These stories in which a multitude of hungry people are fed by Jesus. I'm going to read these stories in a moment. I've always been fascinated by them. I'm intrigued with with two or three things about the stories. I don't know whether you've ever thought of this, Um, but but there's two or three things that, that, that I find really curious before we read them. The first is that the, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of only, apart from the last week of Jesus' life, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of only two things that appear in all four Gospels. Uh, the, the other is the promise, is, is John the Baptist's statement that Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's in all four Gospels, because it's really significant because it really matters, because that's the essence of Christ's ministry, is to fill us with his spirit. He's um, he's spoken that in prophetic word this morning. So that is in all four Gospels. And and I think, okay, that's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, it's in John. That must be really significant. And and again, apart from the, the events of that final week, the only other thing that's in all four Gospels is this story of the feeding of the 5,000. So I think that must also be really significant. All the Gospels include that story. There's, there's, as I say, there's very few things that appear in all form. So that's, that's one thing I find curious. I, I think there's something in this story which must be right up there with the promise that Jesus will baptize us with his Holy Spirit. The second thing I find curious is is the fact that there are two stories, two feeding miracles, one of 5,000, one of 4,000, in really close proximity to each other, Matthew 14, Matthew 15, 
uh, Mark 6 and I think Mark 7 or 8. And they happen, and, and, and they're told in close proximity. I think they probably happened in close proximity in time. Certainly in place, both these miracles happen around the Sea of Galilee. Some commentators say, well, uh, I think there was only one event, and, and the gospel writers tell us the same event twice. I don't believe that at all. Matthew was an eyewitness. Matthew was there. We're going to read his account of this in a moment. So that's interesting, isn't it? Two almost identical miracles happening. Same kind of thing happening in both cases. Is that a coincidence? Or is it really significant? And the third thing I've always found fascinating about the two stories is that the maths just does not work. In the first account, we have 5,000 people fed with five loaves, and um, I think in the first one, there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. See, okay, I've got the proportions in my head. It's a loaf per thousand, and there'll be um, 12, 12 fifths of that will be leftovers. And then you get to the second story, and of course, it's, it's seven loaves now for 4,000, and all the maths goes horribly wrong. It just doesn't work, and I can't get my head around that mathematically. We'll come back to that. So, so curious, fantastic, true stories, spectacular miracles, learned in Sunday school. Um, we've probably all heard of at least one of those two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. And what we're going to do now is read both the stories as recorded by Matthew, who was there at the time as an eyewitness to these events. And we'll start in Matthew 14. And I think um, you'll listen to me. I'm going to read it from the Holman translation. Or turn to it and follow it in your own Bible if you'd like to. So Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Lord, we just want to pray that as, these, as the scriptures are read now, as these amazing, spectacular, incredible miracles as we read them now, Lord, our hearts will believe that you did this. Our minds will be expanded to take in the dimensions of what's happening here. And I want to pray for this fantastic church, this faithful, fantastic community church here, Lord, that all that you want to say to them, to us this morning, principles from these stories, principles for this time we're in, when multitudes are so hungry, we pray you'll speak clearly, Lord, through these stories this morning. Amen. So Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard about it, that is the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. And when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, felt compassion for them because they were like sheep, uh, Mark says, because they were like sheep without shepherds, and he healed their sick. And when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness and it's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. In Mark, he says, um, Jesus questions them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds 
to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now turn to the next chapter, Matthew 15, verse 31. So the crowd were amazed when they saw that those unable to, those unable to speak talking, the deformed restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. Now Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to fill such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. And after commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks, and he broke them, and he kept on giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were filled, and then they collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Brilliant stories. Should we just give Jesus a great round of applause for such spectacular, spectacular miracles? And um, I want to just share some things, some principles that I think we see in both the stories, or I should say in each of the stories, uh, that are really helpful to us. And I trust these will be really helpful to you in this season you're coming into. And the first is that these events proceeded out of a really tough, intense time. Certainly the first one. Jesus has just received news that John, his cousin, his friend, his partner in ministry, has been beheaded. And it hurt. In Mark's account, he tells us that the twelve needed a rest because they'd just been in a time of very intense ministry. They needed to withdraw. That was perfectly legitimate. But whilst taking uh, appropriate action, legitimate action to take care of their own legitimate needs, to withdraw, be with the Lord, be with the Father, have some time aside from the intensity of all that's been going on, the Holy Spirit moves upon Jesus to uh, cause him to meet the needs of multitudes. And I just want to say, God knows the heartache we go through sometimes. He knows the demands on us. He knows the challenges we face. He knows when we go through tough times. And it in no way disqualifies us, brackets, or excuses us from being involved in what he wants to do to meet the needs of multitudes. 
And I believe a new day of ministry and miracle is upon his church at this time. I believe it at home. Oh, by the way, big greetings. Rich Jones especially, not especially, but particularly. He was the one that said in a text message this morning, please pass our love to the church in Southport. So lots of love from Rich, from the elders, from Living Rock Church, and from brothers and sisters in Kenya who are doing great in the midst of tough times, seeing miracles, seeing multitudes, expanding congregations, baptizing people every day. God is so good. I don't know about you. I've, I have found that I seem to be most useful to the Lord when I feel most useless. And, and I'm, I'm happy that I stand with Paul who said, his power is made perfect in my weakness. Have you ever found that? You know, just when, when you get to the end of yourself and you can no longer rely on your own abilities and your, your natural stuff and, and you're forced to rely on the Lord in the midst of a tough time or a time of heartbreak or a time of just intensity. And we've, we've all been through that in our different ways. His power is made perfect in our weakness. I want to say, church, he's with you. He's for you. And he is more than ready to use you in this new season. It's a time of regathering. And great to see so many chairs full this morning. It's a time of regathering. It's also a time of ingathering. And we mustn't be so focused on, on the regathering of the church that we forget the ingathering of the multitudes who are hungry and really need to hear some good news. So that's the first principle I see in these stories. It proceeds out of a really tough time. The second thing we, 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 we can't fail to notice is it happens in a wilderness. The first, the first occasion, the, the 5,000, it, it describes it as a desolate place, a, a remote place. The second incident as a desolate place. These two outstanding miracles, spectacular events, take place in places without a name. Desolate place. Remote place. And in those places, Jesus comes in all his glory, all his power, to do something awesome and amazing. God does not have his favorite places. He's not biased towards the big cities, the big bright lights. He's not biased towards the darkened auditorium. He's not biased towards the high-profile ministry. He moves in power wherever there's a need, wherever there's hunger and faith, wherever there's people ready to step out and be involved. If you had been to our, where, where our main church gathering is, is in a village, which when we bought the building there, the village had a population of like 5,000 people. Nobody had ever heard of, well, you might have heard of it, but I just, I'll give you, is there anybody who's never been there that's ever heard of Stony Stanton? It's, it's a, well, it's not a nowhere place. It's, a, it's an amazing place. It's actually the heart of the nation. It is the heart of the nation. Well, it's about eight miles from the place where the old Roman North-South Road, the Watling Street, the um, East-West Road, the Watling Street, crossed the North-South Road, the Foss Way. 
That was the heart of Roman Britain, and we are right there. It's the heart of the nation. But God has a message to ring out from the heart of the nation to the ends of the earth. And it doesn't matter where we are. Our, our mission field is small towns and villages. God wants to do something wherever there's people who are hungry, thirsty, ready, believing in his abundance. And I, I think that's here, isn't it? God is ready. He's doing things. He wants to continue. And this is a really wonderful new season for us all to embrace. Next thing I see is that both these miracles, and you cannot miss this, spring out of his compassion. You see that in both stories? I have compassion on these people. The word that's used is a, is a really, in, in, the, in the original language, is a really strong, emotional word. It means to have a gut reaction to something. His heart went out, your translation might say, something like that. This moved him. And compassion is always an action thing. It's never just a sort of sympathetic feeling. It always results in action, as I'm sure you know. He had compassion. His heart is moved. He feels something. This matters, and he acts to meet the need. I remember years ago, years and years ago, I went away for a couple of days just to be in a quiet place of retreat. It's a funny word, retreat, isn't it? It's kind of, it's, there, always, there should be times of advance, but you sometimes just have to pull aside. A time of withdrawal would be, probably be more biblical, a time to withdraw. And I think the church was doing okay at the time. We were growing. We were seeing people added. But I went away and I said, Lord, I, well, I read Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord. Let's just turn to Isaiah 61, could we? I remember reading this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. It's the passage Jesus quotes when he is baptized with the Spirit. He comes out of his water baptism. The Spirit of God descends upon him. He goes into the wilderness. He defeats the tempter. He returns, and he quotes this in Luke chapter 4, but here it is in, the, in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve in Zion. I read this passage, and I just felt the Lord began to minister to me, speak to me, and I thought, Lord Jesus, these are the people you came for. The poor, the captive, the heartbroken, the weary, the grieving. And I remember praying in that day, Lord, I don't want to be unmoved by the things that move you. And I just felt I was kind of doing it, doing the job and doing it well and loving life, loving ministry, love to be used by the Lord. But I said, Lord, I want my heart to be moved like yours is. I don't want to just run, run a, well, administrate a church well. I want to be moved as you're moved, Lord. And I don't know whether anybody else noticed it, but, but I felt God change me in that moment. And, and I just started to 
Feel for people. Feel for the situations they were. Feel for what they faced. Be moved in a way I hadn't been moved before. And what I do remember is, and I'm not saying that was the only reason, but, but it seemed that from that day on, our church began to see people saved and added from a much more diverse background. I thought, Lord, you, you, you've done something to prepare my heart for a much bigger harvest. These miracles spring out of compassion, out of a gut reaction, out of hearts that are moved for the plight of the multitudes. He is a wonderful God, and he's King of kings, and he's Lord of lords, and he's sovereign. And as Kerry shared with the other, the other week, he's good, he's loving, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign. I've tried to learn the four anchors. Sorry. Sovereign, all-powerful, good, and loving. He is, and he's the hope, and he's the answer in the wilderness. We must let our hearts be moved. Then I discovered the reason he does this miracle twice, I think. I can't prove this. Just a little caveat. Cannot prove this. But the feeding of the 5,000 is a miracle amongst the Jews. Time he gets into Matthew 15, verse 21, he left a place and he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon, Matthew 15, 21. And that's where the Canaanite woman comes to that region and begs him to have mercy on her daughter. And, and he says, well, I only came to the house of Israel. And she says, yes, but surely even the Gentiles can eat the crumbs from the table. And then he moves around the Sea of Galilee and he comes into a place where um, he performs miracles. And if you notice Acts, uh, Matthew 15, 31, the crowd were amazed. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. And I think this second miracle happens amongst Gentiles. Because Jesus has a heart for the whole world. Jesus has a heart for all your friends, all your family, all your contacts, whatever place in life, whatever, whatever nationality, of course, whatever, whatever background they come from, Jesus has a heart for all the nations. And I think Matthew's describing here a miracle to Jews, a miracle amongst Gentiles. He's just saying Jesus is the answer to the whole world. Jesus' heart is moved for all people. He doesn't feed 5,000 and then 4,000. He feeds 9,000 from all nations. His mercy, his provision, his miracle working power is for everyone. And I believe in this new season, I'm sure this is the case already, the doors of this church have to be wide open, wide open to all comers from all places. Lord, I pray that many, many nations will come here. Many nationalities, many races, many ethnicities, Lord, will Find a home in this church and meet the Jesus who has compassion for them. Amen. Both these stories establish a divine principle. Jesus meets physical needs. He points them to their spiritual needs. John records that he says, you know, I am the bread of life. He feeds them bread, but he says, but I'm the bread of life. 
and he shows them something in the physical just to also help them see that he wants to meet a spiritual need as well. And I love the fact that in both these miracles, I don't know whether you noticed this, he, he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, he gives the bread, he takes, he blesses, he breaks and he gives. That's the way he meets the need. And of course, it's, a, it's kind of a forerunner to what happens on, at the Last Supper, isn't it? Where Jesus takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and gives the bread. Exactly the same verbs are used. All of that is a, an indication of what's about to happen on the cross. When Jesus is taken, blessed, broken, and given for the needs of the world. And all of that is a picture of how he wants to use his church to meet the needs of the multitudes. He takes us. He blesses us. He fills us with his spirit. He blesses us. But he also has to break us. And and that might mean breaking our hearts for the lost. And then give us to meet the needs of the world. I pray that you'll, we, I, I and you will let him take us, bless us, break us, and give us. That's his way of meeting the needs of the world. A couple more things. They, these stories clearly describe a partnership as Jesus intentionally involves the twelve in what he's doing. There's a really interesting debate, moot points, I suppose, as to where the multiplication happens. The second story does say that Jesus keeps on giving. But somewhere between the five and the seven loads and the 5,000 and 4,000 who are receiving, somewhere a multiplication is happening. And it's either either when Jesus gives it to the disciples, it never runs out. Or when the disciples start distributing amongst the people, it never runs out. Or maybe it's in both places, who knows. But either way around, Jesus wants to involve us in in some incredible, awesome, fantastic, miraculous provision because he's a God of abundance. And he's spoken that over us this morning. He's a God of abundance. He he wants to hold nothing back. He wants to give, let me just say, he wants to give through us an abundance to multitudes. I love the way he challenges them. You give them something to eat. I, I, I don't know why the second time around it's not a bit more obvious to them what he's about to do. But there you go. But he challenges them, doesn't he? You give them something to eat. And then he points out the ingredients, the raw materials that he's going to use to perform this miracle. Find out what you've got. Go and and find out. And they come back with the count, the, the tally. There's only five loaves of bread. There's only seven loaves of bread. There's only two fish. There's only a few fish. And Jesus says, and here's the key, bring them to me. There's the key. Bring them to me. I was talking with some of the guys in the church yesterday, and one of the, one of the greatest questions we can answer is when Jesus says, what, what's that in your hand? What do you have? What do you work with? What ingredients do you have? Bring them to me. I want to say to you, church, as I was praying for you this morning, 
just felt the Lord say, all the ingredients are here. All the ingredients are here. Believe it. You lack nothing. Staying at, we're staying at Shea Greg. And um, while the man of the house was still slumbering this morning, at least I think that's what the noise was. No, didn't hear anything. I, went, I was in the kitchen making Deborah a cup of tea. That's really what happened. And I noticed this tray on the side. I, I, the previous night, Saturday night, we were treated some sourdough bread, homemade by David. It was fantastic. But what I didn't realize was there was a tray in the kitchen. You would not believe how many varieties of flour are on that tray. And I don't know what kind of bread making he's into, but, but all the ingredients were there for every kind of bread you could imagine. <laughs> and I believe the Lord wants you to know this morning all the ingredients are here. All the ingredients are here. You lack nothing. Excuse me. And when we bring our stuff to him, when we bring what we have to him, when we answer that question, what's in your hand, and we allow him to use what's ordinary, what's familiar, what's commonplace, he transforms it. He transforms it. He takes us as we are. I was saying last night, I love the way he, he first chooses the first four disciples who are going to be part of this team to advance the kingdom into all the earth. And he meets um, um, Andrew and Simon, Simon Peter. And it says they're casting their nets into the sea because they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. And he says, I'm going to make a new kind of fisherman of you. When we come to him, as we are, with what we have, just as we are, with what's in our hand, when we come to him and say, Lord, here I am with all that I am, he can transform us into a new kind of whatever you are. Whatever your work is, he wants to transform you into a, a new kind of person in that workplace. Fishing for men. Whatever place you live in, he wants to transform you into a new kind of resident in that place. His ambassador. You students out in Edge Hill, he wants to transform you. If I could pay this, a new kind of student. A man of God, a woman of God on that campus. A new kind of whatever subject you're studying. A new kind. A spirit-filled, ready to be used, knowing you have all the ingredients. You lack nothing. This is your day. This is your year. This is your term. This is your amazing time here. All the ingredients are here. A couple more things. They, both these miracles involve a, pretty much a brand new thing. I've just seen the youth. That's what you meant when you said they're at the back. No? You're either youth or you're very young looking, but where are the youth? Perhaps I put me out of my misery. Where are the youth? Here they are. Excellent. You wish. <laughs> it's involved. You know, there are there are some sort of um, precedents, some sort of precedents. There's the manna in the wilderness. That's a that's a pretty big miracle. 
kind of a bit of a, um, a foreshadowing of what happens in these miracles. There's another story in, in, um, in 2 Kings chapter 4 which, in which there's a multiplication of food, but nothing on this scale. This is essentially a brand new thing happening. And I also felt in praying for you over the last couple of weeks, the Lord saying, um, not just, not so much I want to do a new thing, but I want to do a fresh thing with you. To take what you're involved in, different initiatives, different projects, different burdens that you're out working. And the Lord says, I want to do a fresh thing amongst you. Even taking existing ingredients, the existing ingredients, but doing a fresh thing with them, fresh expressions. Some of those things might be forced upon you because of um, personnel, perhaps. Some limitations right now, I don't know. Some of them, some of them I think you're just going to know the Lord breathing upon things that you're doing and the papers will fly into the air and they'll land back in a different format. Fresh things. All the ingredients are here. But the Lord wants to put some yeast into it, some fresh things into it, and see something fresh, different, emerging amongst you. hope that makes some sense, what I felt the Lord say. And the last thing is this. These miracles defy explanation. Why are there more loaves for the 4,000 and the 5,000? Why do the basket, why do the basketfuls not seem to be in proportion? Well, they're not meant to mean anything. They're not meant to be explainable. Maths isn't meant to work. We're not meant to try and logically, rationally create formulae and reduce things to methods and put God in a box. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, wherever he wants, with whatever proportions he wants. These two mighty miracles, this feeding of the 9,000, simply demonstrates that God loves the world They display Jesus' abundant, overflowing heart for all the nations. And as John says, they are a sign for us that he's Lord of all. He's sovereign. He is good. He is loving. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And he's able to meet every need in every situation. Nothing is impossible for him. If you've still got your Bible open in... Isaiah, go back to Matthew 15. Because it's, I think it's interesting, it's significant, I think, that one of the next events that Matthew records for us is the statement by Jesus in Matthew 16 that he's going to build his church. Matthew 16, verse 18, I say that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I wonder whether these miracles take place before that statement because he just wants to expand all their thinking and eliminate all their process and procedure thinking and method that they might have in mind. Say, I'm building my church. And um, tough times, intense times, will never be restrictive, will never be limiting for you. And I want you to expect that I can move wherever you are, wherever you are, in your villages, in your towns, in your campuses, 
wherever you are. I want to move you with compassion. Move you with compassion. Be moved with compassion. I want to take you, bless you, break you, give you to meet the real needs. And as I build my church, remember to um, let me have whatever you are, whatever's in your hand, and embrace fresh ways, new ways, fresh ways, and take all the limits off what the Lord wants to do. I believe that's his heart for you, Southport Community Church, at this time. A great day in which God is doing fresh things, wants to use us as part of a great um, push forward in our mission. And in asking the Lord how to finish today, I just simply felt this. It seems ever so simple. I just feel he wants to know who's a volunteer this morning. Who's up for this? Who is here to say, I volunteer? I volunteer. I, I want to commit to this. Part of what the Lord is doing here. Give my time. Give my energies. To be part of the ingredients the Lord wants to mix together. Do something fresh with. So that's my appeal. Are you ready to volunteer? I know, I know in some really practical ways, thank you, John. Just, just please feel free to just respond in standing. I know in some practical ways, there are areas in the life of the church where volunteers are needed. That's real. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, it's like, I need to just get stuck in a bit more. That's brilliant. Maybe you're already volunteering. You're already involved in lots of things. And it's simply to say... Yep, I just acknowledge I'm part of what God's doing here. So let's just respond to the Lord now in standing up. Just saying, Lord, I, I, I'm in. I'm into what you're doing, Lord. I'm into the life of this church. I'm into the mission of this church. I'm here to commit, to serve, to be part of going. I want to be part of what you're doing on campus this year, Lord. And see dozens and dozens of students come to know Jesus. Find their able to place their roots down somewhere and be cared for and looked after and inspired in the life of a local church. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your miracle-working ability. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love Jew and Gentile alike. You love all nations. Thank you, Jesus, that you are moved with compassion. You're not remote and um, aloof, Lord, but you're with us. You know what we go through. And we're here this morning, Lord, to say we stand to volunteer for what you're doing at this time, Lord. Part of this body of people, part of, uh, part of the mission into this place, we give ourselves afresh. We give ourselves afresh.